Word of God and turn to the book of Titus. We begin a uh, new series, um, the Gospel Planet Church. We want to this year talk a lot about what it means to be uh, a church planted in the gospel uh, as we seek to become a local autonomous church uh, here in Richmond. We want to understand what that means, and there's a lot of components that go into that. Uh, what does leadership structure look like? What is our mission? Uh, how do we think about worship? How do we think about missions? How do we think about serving and ministering to the least of these in our culture? Uh, but first and foremost, we got to be a church that's planted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this powerful letter in the New Testament is uh, all about that. It uh, is three chapters long, uh, but it is full of weight, full of depth. Even as I've read through it, the, the phrases in this book, the way Paul puts these, um, this book together, it's like he's trying to get so much in uh, to, to three chapters uh, as he's writing to, to Titus who is planting churches on the island of Crete and you get into it and you realize there is so much more here than you first see at first glance and uh, I'm excited about this book I'm excited about what it's going to do in the life of our campus uh, as we, we seek to again be a church planted uh, in the gospel and we're going to look at the first four verses of this uh, letter this morning, if you would stand in reverence to the reading of God's perfect word. It's amazing that Paul uh, sat down to write this letter to Titus, one of his protégés, someone he had mentored in the faith, who was going to be planting and establishing churches on this small island. And as he wrote this letter, he probably didn't think about us very much. And yet the Holy Spirit carried him along to write words that we would stand up and read today that would impact what we do here, that would um, give us a foundation for ministry and would inform our thoughts about the gospel. And it's amazing to think about the ripple effects <laughs> The way the gospel has taken off and the way the gospel continues to move throughout the world, throughout history. And I hope as, you, as we read this letter, as we do this this morning, you realize the honor and privilege that you have to be a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus' prized possession, where Jesus' plans and purposes for human history come to fruition, we get to be a part of it. And God has ordained that we hear his, his words right now in these moments. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. 
to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Savior. Oh God, we pray today that these words, empowered by your Spirit, would come alive in our hearts, in our lives, and in this church. God, I pray that we would hear them with gravity, that we would be reminded today that we're not here just gathering a group of people together that we like to do things with, but we are part of the greatest plan and promise in human history, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, you would take this letter and you would use it to, by your spirit, motivate us to spend and be spent for the mission of your church in the world. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. You may be seated. One of my primary goals in life, I, I want to pastor, I want to preach. Uh, I'm excited about church planting and, and what that looks like. But one of my goals in life, primary goals in life, is to grow green grass. A lush, green, healthy yard around my house. Pastor, preach, be a part of church planning, and grow grass. This is some of uh, coach baseball, throw that in there, be a part uh, of that. But uh, that is one of my primary goals. You can ask my family. I think about that constantly, and I'm constantly trying to get better at that. And uh, one of the reasons I think I want that so much is that's something that has eluded me most of my life as I've had a house, as I've had a yard. I've never been able to grow good green grass in my yard. And every spring, this time of the year, I get fired up about it. I'm like, yeah, this year we're going to have a nice lawn. We're going we're gonna to have some great mulch out there that's going to offset it and make it look good. And, and we're going we're to have a great yard. And then weeds start growing and I start just killing everything in the yard, spraying all kinds of toxic things. I'm I'm surprised that we live through spring and summer with the things that are usually in our front yard. And before summer is over, my front yard, or my yard in general, is usually just dirt. There's nothing there. And then I get to a point where I'm like, yeah, I'm glad I don't have to mow that grass. I can just mow it down to nothing. All it is is weeds, and I don't have to think about that for several weeks. But then I, I began talking to Glenn Pruitt and, and other people like Glenn Pruitt. And if you don't know Glenn, he's, he's a uh, grass expert, a lawn expert. And you, you want to know how to have a great lawn, a great yard, talk to, to Glenn. And, and, and I began having these conversations with him. What do I do? And, and one of the advices, he, some advice he gave me was this is a long-term project. You can't kill and grow everything all at once. You've got to think years, not months, not weeks. And, and he's lectured me uh, several times about that. But uh, this 
fall, I decided I'm going to do it. I'm going to have a great yard. And, and, and I began talking to Glenn and then Patrick Fusen. He got in on helping me plant new grass, plant a new yard. Uh, and we just, I just said, this year I'm going to focus on my front yard, just my front yard. I'm not going to think about anything else and we're going to make this great and then we'll move around. And so Patrick and I, we got these big machines out there and we aerated the front yard and, we, and, and then we went back and power seeded the front yard and I raked dead grass out of my front yard. It seemed like for months, and I watered the new uh, grass, the new seed, and we've fertilized it, and we've killed weeds, and, and, and even through the winter, my, my grass has been green. It's been lush and green, and, and I'm all excited to see what's going to happen, and, and Glenn wants to speak in tongues right now. He's just over here raising his hand, but, but I am fired up about what my grass is going to look like this spring and then I get out of my uh, truck the other day and in the same spot where I have just dug holes and sprayed all this toxic chemicals I think one time I sprayed gas on these weeds trying to kill it I saw the same daggum weeds growing under this tree and my heart sank I was like, I didn't think I was going to have to deal with this again. I was ready to move to the backyard, and here's a weed that's going to become weeds. I'm going to have nightmares about weeds in my front yard, and here we go again. I've wasted all of this time and energy uh, on this grass, and here we go with the weeds again. It never ends. And through this process, I've come to appreciate why Jesus talks about gospel ministry in the same way. Uh, he says preaching the gospel is like throwing out seed. He, he tells a parable and he says, as he sends out his disciples, I want you to know what it's like to preach the gospel in a world cursed with sin and death, and while many will reject it, and there's tribulation, and there's cares, and there's pleasures of this world that will come in and choke out the gospel, I want you to understand that you're casting out seed, and you really have little control over what happens after the seed is thrown out. Some seed will land on hard soil, and it will never grow. And then you'll turn around and some, some will begin to grow. You will, begin to see, uh, you will begin to see results of even a harvest that, that, that looks like it's coming up. And then all of a sudden, thorns and thistles and the cares of this world will choke it out. And you realize there was really no growth there to begin with. You'll see that in the lives of people who you preach to. You will see some reject it, and you will see some who receive it for a time. They get excited about it, and then they turn away from the gospel. He says, I want you to know that's just the way the kingdom works in the world. And as we seek to plant a church, we have to understand that. That to cultivate a church that is deeply rooted in the gospel... And by the way, we want to plant something that lasts for a long time. We're not just fired up about getting a group of people to get together for a short time 
and we do some great things for a moment and we build something really awesome here. What we want to do is plant a church, plant something that lasts for a long time that our great-grandchildren are still a part of. We want to plant a church where they are even a part of planting other churches around the world. We want, a ha- we want to have a legacy of gospel ministry that transcends this time, that transcends what we're a part of right now. And Paul says to do that, you've got to be planted in the gospel. You, you've got to take root in the gospel. And to make sure you're doing that, it takes a lot of work. You have to throw out a lot of seed. You have to kill a lot of weeds. You have to come back and you have to aerate. You have to come back and plant more seeds. And you have to water. And you have to do all of this tireless work to make sure that the roots of our heart and our faith are firmly planted in the gospel. And it's not easy. It's not something that just happens. And for the most part, you don't have a lot of control over it except for the preaching, except for the proclaiming, except for getting the ministry, the the word out. And so he writes to Timothy, who is his protege, someone, uh, a man who came to faith under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Paul had been in a Roman prison and he left that prison and somewhere along the way as he is sailing, he ends up on this Isle of Crete. This was an island that was about 50 miles wide, 160 miles long. And he preaches the gospel as he did everywhere. We look at the life of the Apostle Paul and it, it does it, wherever he is, he's preaching the gospel. It could be in prison, he could be shipwrecked on islands, and he says this is an opportunity to preach the gospel. And so he travels this island preaching the gospel and people begin to come to faith in Christ and they begin to organize, they begin to group churches on this island, but he realizes these churches are brand new. There's false teaching everywhere on this island island and so he leaves Titus a man who was a Gentile a Greek traveling with Paul Titus was used in the controversy in Corinth Paul sent Titus with the severe letter to the church in Corinth. There was all kinds of division and controversy in this church. Paul trusted Titus to go there with the gospel, to go there with his letter and sort out whatever division and disunity was going on in this church. This is someone who he had the utmost confidence in. And here in this letter, as a church planter, we might call Titus, as a missionary. He calls him to labor to make sure that the churches on this island of Crete are rooted in the gospel. And he tells him how to do that. First of all, we see in this introduction Paul's gospel identity. First of all, notice Paul a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Here this word servant is literally slave. And it is the most debased word in the New Testament. It refers to one who took part in the most menial of tasks. It it referred to uh, Paul having total loyalty, surrendering of his will and rights to God alone. 
Paul is saying here, he has no rights of his own. He is actually property of God. He is surrendered to Jesus Christ. Notice, in an apostle... The word apostle means sent one. Paul says, first of all, I am a slave, but I am a slave that is sent out by the authority of Jesus Christ. Jesus commissioned the the, the 11 and 12 apostles to go out and found the church. They were to go out and they were to preach the gospel and they were to teach the gospel and they were to disciple the churches that we read about in the first century in the gospel. They were on the front lines of being what we see in Ephesians, the foundation of the church as they preached the gospel. And Paul was an apostle to the Gentiles. He was sent out by Jesus' authority, under Jesus' authority, to establish the church where it had never been established, to preach the gospel in places that had never been preached. And Paul says, I do so as a slave. I do so as a slave to Jesus Christ, my Savior and my King. So as we begin this letter, Paul's establishing his authority. What right do I have to write this letter? What right do I have to tell you what to do? Well, I'm a slave of Christ. And I do so by the authority of Jesus Christ as an apostle. Now, as Paul gives us his credentials, that should be shocking to us. We're so used to reading Paul's letters, we don't understand how shocking and scandalous that title is that he gives himself. But remember... Paul wasn't a slave to Christ at one time. He was an enemy to Christ. Jesus wasn't his savior and king. Jesus was his enemy, and he sought to destroy everything that Jesus was doing in the world. His loyalties loyalties were to a teaching called Judaism. Judaism taught that you you could believe in Jesus. You could say you're a Christian, But to really be accepted by God, you had to be circumcised. To really be accepted by God, you had to take part in all of the traditions, all of the festivals, all of the Jewish traditions and festivals and everything that it meant to be a Jew. You had to adhere to all of those things to really be accepted by God and to be really accepted in the community of faith. And Judaism became a movement so fiercely loyal to this teaching that they sought to stamp out anyone who taught anything different. And so if you said a Gentile can be a Christian without becoming a Jew, without taking on the traditions of the Jew, they didn't just disagree with you. They sought to destroy you. They sought to kill you. They sought to stamp out everything you were about. And the Apostle Paul was the face of that movement. The Apostle Paul, this man who could teach, this man who could preach, this man who had great influence, and he could reason, and he was powerful, and he was forceful. He was the prized possession of Judaism. And he killed Christians. We think about who the Apostle Paul was In the first century, he would have been the face of ISIS. He is the one beheading Christians. He is the one who would hate everything that's going on here this morning. 
That's who the Apostle Paul was. He would have been seen as a terrorist. He was the face of the enemy of Christianity. And then we read in Acts chapter 9 as he is out and he is seeking to destroy more churches. He is seeking to stamp out the gospel. He is sick at his stomach when he looks at Christians and hears of this movement. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 9 as he is headed out to destroy the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is knocked off his horse. And he hears the words from Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you raging against me? Why are you raging against my people? And we realize from the very beginning, God did not ask Paul's permission to save him. He knocked him off a horse. And then for some time, the Apostle Paul is blinded by the light of the glory of Jesus Christ where he can't see. And he is that way until he submits to this call upon his life. That's how God called Paul to preach the gospel. Changed his name, changed his identity, changed his purpose. And so Paul can't say anything else. I'm a slave. I've been purchased by Jesus Christ. He has totally transformed my mission. And he has sent me out to establish the church in the world. What what else matters? This is what I've given my life over to. And we've got to be a people where, where we are enamored by that reality in our own lives. Consider your life before Christ. Consider the things that you found value in. Consider the things that you lived for. Consider the way that you established your own kingdom for your comfort, for your security. And then comes the gospel of Jesus Christ. And and the glory of Christ becomes your greatest treasure. The reality that He would die for your sins. The reality that He would give you this glorious kingdom that's coming in. And then you stand back and say, what else matters? I am a slave to Christ. This is my mission in life. And for us to be a church that is deeply rooted and planted in the gospel, we've all got to feel that way about this mission. I'm a slave to Christ. Whatever else I do is folded into this mission. Whatever else I'm a part of, this is what matters most. Notice, Paul continues, for the sake of the faith of God's elect, for God's church, God's chosen people, this phrase, Elect, this word elect was used of Israel in the Old Testament, and it refers to God's people that are set apart in the world only to God by God's unconditional sovereign grace to trust in Him, to rely upon Him for forgiveness of sins and to hope in His rule that is coming for them forever. It's God's chosen people in the world. And here Paul uses this phrase to refer to the church. And Paul says, I'm a slave, I'm an apostle for the sake of the church. God's elect. And notice the verse continues. And their knowledge of the truth. Paul puts this phrase together. Knowledge of the truth to communicate that knowing the truth 
It's not just knowing facts about Jesus, facts about the gospel, facts about the Bible, but this word knowledge of truth, this phrase knowledge of truth means to live it out. It means to experience it. And so Paul says, I am slaving for the church so that the church is relying on the gospel and the church is experiencing the truth of the gospel in everyday life. And that's why he continues to explain, which of Chords with godliness. This word godliness refers to devotion only to God. Honoring God by, by trusting in Him, relying on Him at all times in every way of life. Paul says, this is what I'm serving to do. To see that the church is trusting in the gospel so that they're experiencing the gospel in every way. Notice verse 2, in hope of eternal life. We've talked about this many times. Hope in the Bible doesn't mean wishing. I'm wishing this would happen. You are waiting for it. And here, what are we waiting for? Eternal life. The eternal promise that through faith in Christ we will spend eternity with Him forever. In John 17, verses 1 through 3, Jesus explains what eternal life is. It's knowing the one true God and the Son. And we begin to know Him when we believe the Gospel. And that knowledge of Him lasts for eternity. And Paul is saying here, I want the church to trust in the Gospel and to have this eternal hope in such a way that they are living out the Gospel at all times, that they are experiencing the truth of the Gospel at all times. In many ways, this verse is the theme of the whole book. And Paul is saying, this is what we labor for. This is our mission, not just to get the gospel out, but that the gospel would take root, that the gospel would be planted, and everyone who believes it begins to experience it at all times in every way of life. This is what distinguishes us, the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what makes us different from the world around us. The fact that we have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God has set us apart by our faith to hope in His Son, that, that, that God's plan to display the power of Jesus has come to us, and we have tasted and experienced the power of Jesus in the forgiveness of our sins, which comes only through the cross of Christ, and that our hope is that one day we will be laid in a casket and yet we will be raised from the ground the day the Lord Jesus sets His foot on the earth to rule with Him forever. That is our hope. That is a reality that we are to experience at all times. And that is what is to make us different from the world around us. Realize this. We're not going to be distinct in Richmond because of some rules that we come up with. This is the way that you do everything. You've always got to do everything the way that everybody else does everything at our church. Rules, regulations. We're not going to be distinct from the culture by some sort of brand. Ashland brand. We got t-shirts for sale. We're the brand. We got a new cool logo. It's on the side. We're not going to be distinct by a brand. We're not going to be distinct by, by the way that we worship by the songs that, that we sing. 
We're going to try to do those things with excellence, but ultimately that's not what's going to make us different. And I hate this question. When people begin to talk to, talk to me about our church and, and they ask this question, what do y'all offer? I hate that question. And, and you know I'm snarky and I can be a jerk at sometimes. I just look at people sometimes and say, the church? A church? What do y'all offer for kids? What do y'all offer for this group and that group? We're not distinguished. We're a church that believes the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and we celebrate that and we try to proclaim that and that's who we are. If you're looking for some sort of niche, something that's offered to you, you're looking for a program, we want you to be looking for the church. And that's what distinguishes us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is why everything we, mu we do must be planted in the gospel. When we think about our worship, for instance, everything that we do on a Sunday morning has to come back to the good news of Jesus Christ. And we ask that question of ourselves, how is this about the gospel? How, how are we doing this? How is that going to be about the good news of Jesus Christ? And in worship, our songs have to be about Jesus it's not just getting together and being entertained. It's not just getting together and, and singing what I like or what, what, what I think they like or what they want to hear. It's, it's about celebrating the gospel and fine-tuning everything that we do on a Sunday morning in light of the gospel. That's why so often when we take up the offertory, you hear another sermon. You're like, well, I didn't, I, I, I didn't come to hear two sermons. Some people have come to our worship services and thought that was when the sermon started, when we started talking about the offering. But we want to be so clear that when you give your money to the church, that's about the gospel. That's about your hope in the good news of Jesus Christ. And we want to plant our giving in the gospel. The gospel here and the gospel for the nations. And so we talk about it and we, we try to be so rigorous in the, in the way that we plant everything in the gospel. That's why preaching has to be about Jesus Christ. Him high and lifted up. Preaching isn't just to come in here, hey, give me some tips to, to, to make life easier, to make life better. Give me a little pep talk for Jesus. No, this is about lifting Jesus up high in his glory. His words, it, it, it's not just about affirming everything that you already know and do and patting you on the back. You're a nice, a nice person. You believe all the right things. No. In, in light of the glory of Jesus, if he is high and lifted up, our sin is going to be revealed. And in light of our sin, we don't despair. We hope in him. And so every sermon that is preached, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's convicting. But don't stop there. Because we're going to get to Jesus at some point because he's our hope. And, he, and he's all that we have in light of who we are and what we've done to oppose him. We need his grace. So every sermon's got to be about the gospel. And living out the gospel the way that Paul describes it here, hoping in the gospel, trusting in the gospel so that it penetrates all of life, that, that, that we, are, we, we are knowing the truth in all of life, that we are experiencing devotion to God in all of life. It means we cannot just hear the gospel, we've got to live it out. And that's why... BFGs and friendships in the context of this church are so important. 
We, we don't just assume hearing the gospel in a worship service is enough. We've got to have people who step into our lives and speak the gospel to us. There, some of us are here this morning and we are despairing. We, we move through life and we hit stages of life where we feel like a failure. I feel like a failure at work. I feel like a failure at home. I, I'm trying to be the greatest dad in all the world. I'm trying to be the greatest mom in all the world. And at times I feel like the worst dad. I feel like the worst mom. I feel like the worst employer. I feel like the, 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 the worst student. That's where most of us live. And that's why we need to take, that's why we need people who take the gospel we hear and go, well, you're not that great. Yeah, that's true. That's not your mission. Your mission is to understand that you're a great sinner and you're a great failure, but Jesus is a great Savior. And whatever you're failing at, Jesus is a better Savior than whatever you're failing at. And so if you haven't been a great mom this week, that's okay. Trust Jesus. He's a great Savior. What if you've been a great mom this week? Oh, I still need Jesus. He's a great Savior. But you've got to have people who are taking that and pressing it in your life. You've got to have people where you show up and say, yeah, I've been impatient with my kids this week. Yeah, I got angry at an umpire this week. Yeah, I got tossed. I, this never happens to me. I promise it never happens to me. Uh, but I displayed impatience this week. And you've got to have people who say, yeah, remember the word that we heard. Remember the gospel of Jesus Christ. You don't have to win every argument. Jesus is going to win in the end. Trust in him. Hope in him. And, and we take the gospel and we plant it in each other's life. And we begin to look different than the culture around us. We show up at work and we show up at ball games And we show up in the community. And we look different because we're hearing the gospel. Gospel. The gospel is falling on our hearts and then we have people who are coming into our lives and they're pulling up weeds of disobedience and they're pulling up weeds of discontent and they're pushing the gospel further and further into our life and we begin to look different than the world around us. Paul says we've got to have gospel identity and we've got to be on a mission to press the gospel further and further into the lives of one another. And we do this together. Notice, he continues, this gospel, this eternal life has been made known to the nations. We, we seek to know the gospel together, but then we make the gospel known to the nations. Notice the gospel which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began and at the proper time manifested in his word. Here he says the, the gospel of hope and eternal life in the church is rooted in the faithfulness of God. God stakes his name and his character on doing what he says he will do. That's why he says to Moses, I am who I am. And, and what that means is I do everything that I say I do. I am the promise-keeping God, and I am choosing Israel for myself. And the way that Israel will know me is I'm going to make promises to them, and then I'm going to keep my promises, and that's how they're going to learn who I am. And what Paul says here is 
That's how we know the gospel is true because God never lies. And the promise of the gospel was made before anything came into existence. God decided He was going to do it and look, He's done it in Christ. You can trust Him. You can hope in Him. You can stake all of your hope in the gospel because God never has and never will lie. And there's an empty tomb outside of Jerusalem that proves it's true. That's where you put all your hope. That's where you put all of your confidence. And it is an eternal promise that is unshakable. But Paul says this eternal promise was manifested in his word. It it, it came to life in time and space. God decided He was going to send His Son to die for His people. They're going to hope in Him. They're going to have their sins forgiven. That's what God decided to do before anything existed. And He says, now we look around and we see Him fulfilling His Word. As the church comes into existence, as God's people believe in His Word and hope in Jesus, but how do they know His Word? How do they hear His Word? How do they trust in this promise of his word notice the verse continues through the preaching through the heralding proclaiming announcing that Paul says I have been entrusted with by the command of God our Savior this promise that God decided and planned before anything existed Paul says is coming about as I preach the word of God as we preach the word of God and that's what we've been commanded to do As we think about planting a church in the gospel, what is it that we're supposed to do to make that happen? Tell the story. Proclaim, announce, God's King is here to fulfill all of His promises to His people, and He never lies. Paul said, I've been entrusted with this, commanded to do it by God who created me, and he's, rule, he's my ruler, and He's my Savior. This is my task. This is what I've been called to do. I have the honor of announcing to His people that He's here fulfilling His promises, and that's what we're to be about. This is God's eternal plan, the gospel. What else would you want to be about? And as we think about church, what are we going to be about? How are we going to be different? What is it that that we offer? (laughs) The gospel. And, And I pray this every week as I think about what we're doing here. God, save us from being successful at anything else than proclaiming the gospel and planting a church in the gospel. Because you realize you could be successful at a lot of ministry and miss the gospel. You, you can be successful at getting a lot of people together. And you can invest a lot of money in getting a crowd together. And you can have all kinds of bells and whistles in ministry and be successful at those things and be disobeying this command to preach the gospel and establish the church in the gospel. That's why we want to, from from this day forward, we want to fine-tune everything that we do here around the gospel. When we plan, how is this establishing the church in the gospel, and how is this making known the promise of the gospel to all people? How is it? Let's think about it. As As we budget, as we hire staff, as we use buildings, 
We've got to ask, how is this about the gospel? Can this building be used as a tool to to plant more people in the gospel and to send out more people with the gospel? How is that going to happen? That is what we've been commanded to do. And we take eternal significance away from anything we do when we separate it from that. What Paul is saying is, I'm amazed that I get to deliver the message to God's people. This is God's eternal promise, and it's coming to fruition. It's being manifested in my ministry. Why would I want to do anything else? Why would I want to be successful at anything else when it comes to ministry than making him known? And we minimize what we do when we don't connect it to that. That's why when we talk about children's ministry, our goal is not to babysit on Sunday morning. When our children are back there. Our goal with Awana is not just that we can have badges and awards and Christian participation trophies on our wall when we're 30 with our baptism certificate that we got when we were 10. All that's great and all that's good and we want to do it because we want our kids to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's why we call our kids area journey. What does that mean? They're journeying from that place back there to the ends of the earth. Some of us don't want to hear that. But our hope and prayer is that they would know the gospel and they would leave here. They would leave our church. They would even leave our country to make him known. And and we're constantly asking, how is that being done in our children's ministry? How is that being done in our student ministry? Veritas, how are we discipling these young adults in the gospel to leave us, to, to know Christ more, to make Him known? How are we ministering to college students who are with us some four, five, six, seven years depending on how serious they are about their education while they're with us? And they're with us and we're thinking, how can we pour into them They have all kinds of gifts. They have all kinds of resources so that they can spend the rest of their life making Jesus known, being a part of unveiling this glorious promise enrichment into the ends of the earth. And some of them, we say, hey, why don't you stay here? You ever thought about Richmond as a place to stay? Work? Be a part of this community? Help us to know Christ and make Him known? We think about recreation. We think about what we do on the softball field and kickball, however that's going to work. I'm interested in going to those games. But we think about that. What does it mean? It's not just so I can get out there, relive my glory, glory days with Wes Moore, turning two up the middle and <laughs> softball field. No, ultimately, we have to ask, how are we knowing Christ together and making him known because that's God's plan for human history and I want to be a part of it. And we don't want to minimize the significance of it. We always want to connect it to this glorious mission. But how do we do that? Where is the fuel to that fire foundation? We see this in the way that Paul addresses Titus as he ends this introduction We are to speak the gospel to one another. Notice he says, to Titus. 
my true child in a common faith, my, my genuine child, the one who I've led to Christ. I'm your father in the faith. I'm your spiritual father. I'm taking ownership and responsibility over you. Listen to me. We're a part of the same family. This common faith, this shared reality that binds us together. But what is it made up of? Notice grace and peace. Grace, God's unmerited favor. Despite the fact that you deserve hell and wrath, God has given you Christ and so much more. He has shown His favor to you. Notice grace and peace. Titus, I want you to realize the war between you and God is over. Your sin created a chasm. You were at war with God. There was chaos. There was no peace. And Jesus took upon Himself the punishment for your sin. Jesus endured the war for your sin so that you can now be in right relationship with God and have peace with Him. The anger of God has been unleashed upon His Son for you. Notice the way He's reminding Titus of the Gospel in this introduction. Notice He says, God the Father, from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord, the way... The only way you can have grace, the only way you can have peace is through God the Father in Jesus Christ. The one who has saved you. The one who is king over all and who has saved you from your sins. You can't have peace apart from Him. And we read these letters and we think, whoa, that's some flowery language to begin the letter. I'm going to start beginning and ending my emails that way. Grace and peace. But that's not just flowery language. What he is doing here is he's reminding him of the gospel and everything. As you go into the church and you establish the church in the gospel, you've got to remember the gospel. You've got to remember grace and peace from, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to remember that. You can never assume the gospel. And notice the way he does this. Paul, a former Jew who was killing Christians, has led this Greek to faith in Christ. And now he says, you're a Jew, or you're a Greek, I'm a Jew, and we're a part of the same family. We're a part of the same mission. We enjoy the same grace. We enjoy the same peace that only comes through Jesus Christ. We enjoy the same mission from our master and commander. We have the same father who loves us in Jesus. He reminds Titus of the gospel before he says anything else to him. He doesn't assume the gospel. And one of the most ironic things in the life of the church is the gospel is assumed. In the life of the church, so often the gospel becomes the secret. We don't talk about it. We talk about so many other things, but not the gospel. We, we keep ourselves from looking one another in the eyes and reminding one another of the goodness of God in the gospel. And that's the tendency of ourselves to only think about ourselves and not care about others. It's also the work of Satan to think, I don't have to go around talking the gospel to people. We're a gospel people. The preacher talks about the gospel. We sing about the gospel. Why should I have to bring it up again? And Paul says, I can't even begin talking to you without reminding you of the gospel. 
And in the same way we think about the world, we think about the fact that there are people who don't believe in Christ, they're unbelievers, they're lost, they need the gospel for their eternal good. There are people seated next to you who need the gospel for their good this week. People who you look around and say, oh, I thought they already believed the gospel. Yeah, and they're about to forget it. Because the cares of the world are sweeping in. And they're beginning to think, I deserve more time. I deserve more stuff. I, I deserve for things to be my way. And they need you to speak the gospel of grace into their life and say, no, what you deserve is health. And what you need is Jesus let me hold your hand and walk with you to Jesus so you can taste grace, so that you can taste peace. Some of us are here today and, and, and our week has been chaotic and you're thinking, if I could just have time to myself. And, and, and we remind one another, no, your greatest enemy is not your co-worker. The, the, the greatest chaos in your life is not in that nursery as you're trying to watch your shows. And you hear the squalling and screaming. And you're thinking, if I could just get some peace and watch this home improvement show. Oh, that would be great. But the peace you need more than any other peace is the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. And we have to look one another in the eyes and remind one another of that often. Because we all assume it. We all assume it. There are folks here that you, you feel like you're always abandoned. You feel like everybody is out to get you and you feel like you are never loved by anyone. And you need somebody here today to look you in the eyes and speak the words and go, no, God has loved you in Christ. He sent his son to die for your sins. You couldn't be more loved if you are in Christ. You can't make yourself more love. You're trying to get your life in order so God would love you more. No, that's not the case. God has loved you in Christ and people around you need to hear it. They need to hear you say it. And some of us are saying, well, that's awkward. That's weird. Well, it's the gospel. And it's what makes us different than the world around us. Is we latch every conversation to the gospel. And we have to be bold. We have to be different with that. But we won't do that unless those things are happening in our own life. The reason we assume the gospel in our relationships with one another is we assume it as we think about ourselves in relation to God. Our difficulties and struggles, so often we're tempted to look in the mirror and go, God doesn't love me. God's not for me. He's against me. If he was for me, I wouldn't have to endure this. And there are times where you have to look yourself in the mirror and go, you're a sinner who deserves health, and Jesus died for your sins. I've been in uh, even a few contexts in the last few weeks where people have said to me, how do you remind yourself of the gospel? And I thought this was just obvious. But I just tell myself the gospel. When I'm praying, I go, Jeremy, quit feeling sorry for yourself. Quit acting like you deserve something. Quit acting like you, you, you need everything to go your way. What you deserve is health. 
And God sent His Son to die for your sins so that you can spend eternity with Him with your sins forgiven, ruling and reigning with Jesus Christ forever. And you got to just stop and tell yourself that. And that's the way we gospelize ourselves. That's the way we gospelize our church. And when we're all doing that, we're a church that is planted in the gospel. 